Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. How do you study an animal so elusive it's known as the ghost of the mountain? For researchers at the Snow Leopard Trust, the answer is artificial intelligence. By using Microsoft AI to analyze thousands of remote camera images for snow leopards, a task that used to take days is now done in minutes, so researchers have more time to save this threatened species. See how Microsoft AI helps us protect our environment at microsoft.com forward slash AI. On the Marie Curie Couch is the new thought-provoking podcast opening up conversations about death and dying. I only in the darkest of moments would imagine what life would be like without her. Marie Curie expert Jason Davidson chats to a host of well-known guests about their experiences and how they feel about their own mortality. People do struggle to get their heads around the fact that it's not curable. That's On the Marie Curie Couch, available now. Shamir Sani was thrust into the international spotlight after blowing the whistle on vote leaves lawbreaking during the EU referendum. Shortly after the story broke in The Guardian, he was outed by number 10, thus putting in jeopardy the lives of his family back in Pakistan, his own mental and emotional health, and his future. Number 10's outing of a Muslim man should perhaps not come as a great surprise, because what the conservatives are best at, aside from lining their own pockets, is normalizing brutality and violence, particularly against black and brown bodies. But like so many queer people of color, Shamir is resilient and brave, and while he's been wounded and bruised, he's certainly not been deterred. Today, we discuss his motivations for joining the Vote Leave campaign, the far-reaching implications of his public outing, why surrounding himself with queer people of color is helping him heal, and his hopes for his future and ours. Over the course of our conversation, I was so thoroughly impressed with Shamir's tenacity. Doing the right thing is often not the easy road, and he certainly could have stayed quiet and saved himself a great deal of pain. But he didn't. Shamir believes in democracy in people, and that this country has a responsibility to be better. Shamir is a reminder to all of us that the only way to secure the future we deserve is to fight for it. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm Busy Being Black with Shamir Sani. So Shamir... Thank you for being here. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. My pleasure. Um, you've had quite a year, mm-hmm. <laughs> to say the least. How are you? <laughs> How are you feeling? Um, I'm all right, actually. I think it's you know it was story broke in March. Mm-hmm. The whole outing thing happened in March, so it's taken like a trip to New York and a trip back home to Pakistan to like finally to kind of understand what happened and then adjust to that. But I think you don't... This is, I've been asked this question a lot of times, actually, from people saying, uh, how do you feel now? How do you feel? Do you feel better? Is, do things get better? But, like, it doesn't, not when you're at it, and especially when you have... Uh, root, when your roots are in a country where homosexuality is illegal. Um 
and especially when it wasn't your choice, you don't recover from that. It's mm. traumatic mm. in that sense, especially for a person of color. This is what I've been trying to explain to people is that you don't recover, like people of color don't recover from the, those sort of traumatic like experiences. You can't because now that I'm outed, my name and my sexuality are like constantly going to be connected. So if I was to do work in Pakistan, like let's hope like inshallah they'll be like um they'll make homosexuality illegal or something because the men there are too beautiful <laughs> for it to be illegal but it's it's this constant fear that I will have for the rest of my life um so I'm I've adjusted let's put it that way I the outing to me is so <laughs> typical of the brutalization of brown and black bodies mm-hmm. the disposability yeah. of us and indeed I think your entire experience kind of speaks to that disposability and you know what's worse is that I've had these conversations with those people that did it what since they did it no before they did it right right I've had conversations about uh, uh, homosexuality about sexuality among people of color with conservatives with people who work in government who were aware that this was happening so there's no uh, I used to say that like I used to say white people are cognitively dissonant to the experiences of queer people of color. But it's not just that. It's that they are even, and to a point where they would be aware of it and use that as a weapon. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people like to tell themselves, oh, we're past the point where race is used as a means to humiliate someone, destroy someone, or um, intimidate someone. Um, Especially in terms of like, you know, as something as huge and important as Westminster. But even they use that. Even they do that. I mean, even to the say, you look at the way that MPs talk about Muslim women, mm-hmm. about you know, about the Black Lives Matter movement within the UK, particularly uh, that are fully aware of the implications stuff like this can have to people of color, but refuse to be empathetic. And so, was that part of the reason why you worked for conservatives? No, because uh, yeah, yeah. So, no, I just find. Brown conservatives, quite a an interesting concept. Well, for me, it was one curiosity. One, it was genuine curiosity. I am a liberal. I'm a progressive. I don't, I'm, I don't think that disabled people should have their benefits taken away from them, mm-hmm. I, which a lot of actually a lot of people in that sphere do. They genuinely think that, um, and I, you know, I don't believe in the sort of policies that have led to disadvantages within POC communities the most, mm-hmm. you know, the, the impact on like working class communities in terms of welfare, in terms of healthcare, um, business rates, etc. But for me, going into that sphere was one curiosity. And two, it was, I was a broke, I was broke, I was unemployed, I had just graduated, like, and I was looking for anything that came my way. Mm-hmm. And I took it. And I'm not ashamed of that, mm. like, particularly with vote leave. Like, people, are, I am a Eurosceptic. Yeah, I have yes. reminded people that in getting in. I do not believe in a European super state. I don't believe that Europeans should be given preference when migrating to Britain. I believe that Britain has an obligation to POC communities and the Commonwealth countries that it once obliterated. Mm-hmm. That is why I am a Eurosceptic. I don't believe in the European project, never have, never will. But I did join Vote Leave because I was, one, a Eurosceptic. Two, I was curious. Three, I was unemployed. I was a broke-ass brown kid just out of university. 
I don't have a, a network here like that. I took what opportunities I got. Mm. I'm not ashamed and, of that. And, and, and of course, you shouldn't be ashamed, and it's actually a, a defense of the decisions that we make is par for the course for, as people of color, right? That we might have to defend yeah. ourselves. Um, so I wasn't asking you to defend yourself, but rather to mm. help illuminate. I think um, that sort of has, in a way. Like, I think so. I did. I was, I was naive, and I said this in my first interview mm. that I ever did. I said I was naive. Did you go into this career path and in, indeed the space in this campaign thinking that you could help affect the type of change that brown people need yes. to see? Yes, precisely. Throughout, even when you look at the campaigning work that I did, I when I was working with Black and Ethnic Minority Outreach, and then I worked on Believe, which is the progressive liberal campaign, which talked about an unfair immigration system. Because we didn't see we really didn't, anything no, from Believe. Because it was commanded by xenophobes mm. and racists and people that out gay Muslim men. Yeah. You know, those are the kind of people that were running the campaign. So And indeed the country. Yeah, and the country. Yeah. And so, but yes, for me, and I've said this again and again, like I've said, for me, my motivations for leaving the European Union were based mostly, if not entirely, on the progression of black and brown people. And people will say, oh, well, you should have known that, you know, the kind of people that you were around, but I didn't. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I didn't. I was like, okay, cool. These people seem nice. So maybe, you know, they seem all right. And there were liberals on that campaign. Mm. I can't help but think of the parallels. I, I just, last week I spoke to Dr. Kehinde Andrews, whose um, new book is about re- black radicalism for the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And in it, he calls um, he calls forth Malcolm X mm-hmm. and his house Negro field Negro um, argument. Um, and I can't, I was reading through um, in my research for this conversation and I was like, ah, you're a house Negro, right? That there's a parallel there. I guess you could. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. Or that they make house Negroes out of us. White people do in these kind of positions of power. But see, that's why I was hired. Yes, you were used. Yeah. You that's were. why I was hired. And they mm. said, like, my 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 first uh, sort of into the campaign was that I was. A brown man. Mm-hmm. It was a picture sent to uh, the man that, that outed me. But it, my application to vote leave was a picture of me. Mm-hmm. And that tells you a lot. Yeah, it does. And not that I sent it. My friend sent it. Mm. Is this Chris Wiley? Yes. Yeah. And so, and the reply was yes. You know, this, this is all on like this, this, is, mm-hmm. this is giving us evidence yes, yeah. to the police. So, um, anyone can see it, but. It was the fact that I was Muslim, that I was brown, mm-hmm. not the fact that I was gay. My sexuality was never a part of my um, role in the campaign. I was sure I attended like a, a queer event that Vote Leave did, but it was never a part because I was always aware of that it was right. It was dangerous. never part of your um, your diversity package, right? N- you know, basically, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. And I was Muslim. I was yeah, brown, yeah. Pakistani, an immigrant. Yeah, uh, that was your skeptic, and mm. they needed that, and so yeah. they took me on. And you would still leave the European Union? Yeah, I really don't. I really don't like the idea of like a, a union that only benefits Europeans. I've never. Yeah, liked that. and you know, um, I'm. Um, I don't know how I feel about it anymore. Right? I, I think like a lot of people. I mean, I was so staunchly um, remain mm-hmm. until two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> when I read um, Liz Fichette's 
fault lines. Yeah. I think the European Union has a lot to answer for. Mm -hmm. um, the refugee crisis, immigration, the militarization of the borders, mm -hmm. um, the rise of fascism mm -hmm. and the hard right. I mean, and I was kind of reading this book and I was like, oh man, maybe that's what people, the more liberal progressives among the Euroskeptics, perhaps it's what they're talking mm -hmm. about, that it is not this, the European Union um, is not this kind of benevolent. Yeah, it's true. That's um, why you have so many liberal Euroskeptics. It's why you have so many progressive Euroskeptics. It's just the narrative was overtaken by a bunch of angry white men. Much like every narrative. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know why I thought the European Union was gonna was some kind of benevolent unifier of people considering it's run by white people and mm. so therefore by Yeah. And considering like the kind of dangerous governments that they have allowed to arise right. within Eastern Europe, particularly, yes. even in the south of Europe now, is oh, over the past few years. Orban is Orban's one in yeah, particular, yeah, yeah. right, I think. And it shows you that there is there is there is severe sort of disadvantages to being to be a part of that mm. and, and to be honest I don't want to go into that into the details because really right now my focus isn't even on leave or remain it's mm. quite literally about getting people in jail mm. but it sort of shows you that it's 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 already a dangerous environment for people of color for particularly even in Europe particularly for um, for Muslim people of color whether they are black or brown there's this in, there's this sentiment that has been brewing for Yes, for decades against um, Muslim people of color. I ask because there is a parallel between your Euroscepticism and the bravery that it took for you to uh, w blow the whistle mm -hmm. on the vote leaves um, actions. Mm -hmm. I think there's a, for me, it's very consistent mm -hmm. of you, right? Um, and indeed probably speaks to um, a radicalism mm -hmm. that we're not seeing a lot of. Hence the outing. Hence the the, the need to smear you and to and to keep you quiet. So, I, I thought that was an interesting mm -hmm. thread to yeah. to tug at. That you know, those of us who believe in tearing down oppressive power structures um, also have a responsibility to tear them down in our own country as well, yeah. not just abroad. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And that's why I'm like before when I, when the story broke and everyone started like giving their opinion, particularly my friends who are all very much very, very active in the space of like POC activism. Mm. I've always been involved in that space. Mm. Uh, there's Even before I was at Vodiv, I was involved in that space. Not actively participating, but part of the conversation, online mm. groups, etc. So, uh, so to sort of see in retrospect, when, when the story broke, I was like, I said to myself, shit, have I done why Am I wrong? Like, am yeah, I Yeah, you bad actually person? said you would tell someone else not to do it. Yeah, I genuinely didn't care what, uh, what sort of the mainstream populace thought of me. My main worry was that I would become that brown conservative dude. That I would become that guy that, like, oh, he deserved what he got. That's what you get for sleeping with the Tories. Instead of being seen as someone that was, has always been focused on the betterment of uh, people of color. And I think that's what actually I haven't really talked about anywhere. Everything that I did from the point of where I joined, where I was a Eurosceptic, joining the Vote Leave campaign, pushing them to actually go speak to people of color and then post that, before that and after that, has been centered around my experiences as a person of color. And I think that's 
something that I've tried to help people understand, particularly in, even if my, in my tweets are centered around, like, so I'll post a tweet about it, whatever, like POC issues, or even in terms of how I deliver myself on the media. Mm. Ironically, I th- even now I think that if I was a white man, my story would have blown up a lot more. Uh, I think the way that you and Chris have been treated is revealing. Yeah. Just look, and obviously I love Chris a bit, and mm. he's said this himself, mm. you know. But Chris, the reason why I'm such good friends with Chris is because he is a good ally. He is a good ally, and it's rare to find allies that will just um, shut up and listen. Mm. Chris does that. Right. And he's knowledgeable on it, and he'll only add to your experience through his knowledge. And even he said it. You know, even Carol covered it in the article how the the response, despite the story being... And not that I, like... Not that I frankly care about how many people... Uh, actually, that's a lie. I do care how many people are paying attention because it's important. Yes. Um, because it goes to the heart of this country, our future, as whether you're white, black, or brown. It doesn't matter. It's, it goes to the heart of who we are. But in terms of the responses... And how they, even when my story broke, it was actually, we don't want Shami, we want Chris. Yeah. Why? And we all. He's the palatable face. Or not even Chris, even other people that were involved in the space in terms of the People's Vote campaign, in terms of the, your, the sort of pushback for a second referendum, which I was never part of until later, which I never sort of even thought about till later because I was so focused on criminal prosecutions. Mm. They would even get people who were the media would get people that were somewhat involved in a different campaign and get them to talk about the stuff that I revealed or right. the stuff that I did. Mm. And they were always, you know, white. And I, people will say, oh, you're picking straws, etc." But I'm thinking, like, I am the only person from within the entire sphere, within the entire conservative Westminster sphere, the entire hard Brexit sphere that has worked and has befriended these people who knows what happened yet I'm still not called. Why? Mm-hmm. Why is it other people making this palatable? Because you're useful until you're useless. Yes, yeah, exactly. And I knew that. Like, <laughs> I've, I've gotten so Did you know that, or did you learn that? I think it's through my own, like, sort of the imposter syndrome that comes with being a person of color within Westminster that you already expected. You already expected. Ah, uh, so you use that to your quote-unquote advantage. What do you mean? So if you know to expect that you're going to play the brown Muslim card, then ostensibly there's some form of control in that, right? Well, that was you can use it to your advantage. That was uh, the only time I ever sort of... I never went into the Vote Leave campaign thinking I'm going to use my identity, my color or my race as a means to get it. I never never went in there. That That was done for me. Right, okay. Because that's politics. But for me, I never, for me, I, I knew that I was a, a brown Muslim man working in Westminster. And so my work was focused on that. So I focused on, okay, how do I do, how do I get involved here and actually like get other brown people, right, now that other I'm black here. people involved? Mm-hmm. That was my, so I never, I never saw it as, oh, I'm using my identity as an advantage because I never, I never directly did. It was only in my getting into the door that I now I see it as okay, yeah, my uh, identity was worked to my advantage, but I never saw it. I never used it. Mm. I never used it. Understood. 
I'm thinking about my own kind of like the bitter taste in my mouth, having worked at predominantly white institutions. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. You were outed um, by number 10. Talk to me about that fallout. And I'll leave that quite broad so that whatever it is you want to talk about comes up. I think the only people that will ever understand what that's like are people that have been outed and particularly people of color that have been outed, particularly immigrant people of color that have been outed, particularly immigrant people of color who have family and a life in their respective countries. I don't think anyone else can possibly understand it because uh, it's difficult to explain, but you, in your own country, you create, you have your own you have your community, you have the people around you, you have a personality that you always go back to. It's your safe haven. It's always something, well, for some people it's not a safe haven, but for some people it's, it's when you go back home, when you go back to Pakistan or Nigeria or Ghana or India or wherever, when you go back home, you, you, you're back at like your childhood. This is where you grew up. This is where you experienced life. This is where all your biggest change has happened, whatever. And it's stable, so to speak. Your identity there. You going back home, you feel, at least I think for most immigrants, you feel stable. You're like, oh, okay, this is, I know this. I'm back home. But once that stability is, like, destabilized, which something like outing does, it sort of, one, it pushes you away from your own home and two it's it's permanent like it doesn't stop people will always be talking about it back home people will know and like the whole cultural impact the the tribal impact the religious impact there's all these different nuances Mm. that people can't understand like even if I was to break it down say okay I was outed what does that mean it means, one, of course, that I never had the chance to tell my own family myself, which in itself is traumatic for any gay man. Yes. But two, then it meant that, okay, now I have to worry about whether my grandparents know. I have Because it's public. I have to worry about whether my sister, whether my sisters who are in Karachi will be in mortal danger. Do I need to arrange security? If this goes into the hands of, if any random extremist, doesn't have to be, you know, a Muslim extremist, any homophobe. You don't have to be a Muslim extremist to be a homo- homophobe no, extremist. Like, yeah. But if some homophobe finds my name, even from within our own circle, and I come from a very sort of, I come from an upper class society within Karachi. And, but even if someone from within that circle who has been educated outside, they're homoph- there's so much homophobic sentiment. I mean, I know I grew up there. Like... Like every single hour, I was called faggots. Every single hour, I was called lit- like a girl, a sissy. I was still like, I was still, and I played around with it. Like I became the Joker. I used I used to use my femininity as a joke, mm. and that got me by. But now, for the rest of my life, I have to worry about that. Like I have to worry about the fact that someone who is dangerous will know that I'm gay, and even now. People are like, you're talking about it on a podcast. But I'm like, it doesn't matter now that I talk about it because it's already out there. It literally, no matter how much more I talk about it, it doesn't make a difference the because it's, the damage has been done. Which is part of my 
Kiss Against Downing Street as well is that you like you fucked it up basically um, but I don't know how to it's difficult to explain it's this weight that will be on my heart till the day that homosexuality is legalized in Pakistan which is not going to happen and to worry about my family that to worry about what people will think about my family that what, how will that will impact and if I want to go back and do good work and I've always wanted to go to Pakistan for a few years and do good work help people now if I was to make a name for myself there I'm screwed mm. so I can't even go back to the country that I was born in to help and make a difference unless it's from here I don't want to do that and so there are these all these different nuances there's the whole islamic thing you know like a muslim gay man is not like how will that impact my sort of future relationships with like if i was to work with muslim organizations if i was to help out with muslim organizations or how would that impact you know whether i would want to help out in pakistani politics or you know what will my sister's husband's my sister just got married that's why i was in pakistan what will her family think how will that impact my sister's relationship with her husband there is all these things you need to take into account which will be there permanently and which is why i've always said coming out is a white thing mm <laughs> it's all like i've said this to anyone that asked me you should come out I'm, and i especially when i'm in new york cuz i go to new york often cuz i have family there why don't you come out Mm. You should come out to your family. You just come out, like yeah, you'll be free. You'll be free. <laughs> Even here in London, people never understood, always used to say to me, "Come out, Shamir." Oh, it's so great. People of color coming out is a white thing. People of color can't do that. People of color, like the 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 Pakistani gay man, needs to think about what his family will do. Mm. The the Nigerian, the Pakistani, the Ghanaian, the Indian, they have to worry about things like, will I be kicked out of my house? Will I be killed? Will I be murdered? Will my sisters be gang raped as a reaction to my sexuality? Will my parents divorce? Will my community reject me? Will I have no more friends? Will I have no more family systems to support me? And to people of color, family systems are more important than our sexuality. Family is more important than our sexuality, at least from what I know. And the the kind of bonds we built with our families growing up, we can't just sort of throw them away. Throwing them away is traumatic. Losing no, that course. is traumatic. And indeed, there's a there's an entire. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of the kind of black experience, the black queer experience, whereby we learn very early on that there is a family that exists outside yeah. of blood. Right, the chosen family can be thicker than the mm -hmm. blood family, um, and thinking that perhaps for whatever cultural and systemic reasons, men in the outside of Western society perhaps wouldn't have, won't have that. We don't have a house. Yeah, we don't have that. I don't want to call it a luxury, but we don't have that luxury. There that necessity. Necessity. We don't have. Like, how do you get involved in spaces like? that are safe that are another family when you're not out. Yeah. And like coming out is a white thing. It's part of I'm I'm glad you've named it like that because I've for a long time I've had a, I've had trouble with Stonewall's come out for LGBT Yeah, campaign. I've hated that project. I've never been It's just it. never sat well with me, but I've never been able to say why until you've just illuminated that. So thank you. It's all of these efforts that say that this sort of pressure that they put on people to come out for for a white person 
in Western society. Mm-hmm. It's cute. Okay, dad will be angry. Maybe they'll. Maybe their family will reject them. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. But then there is a there is a system in place already that that reinforces, that reinforces, that reinforces their whiteness their and whiteness. their queerness. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Whereas, like the <coughs> D, like the DL Pakistani dude doesn't have that luxury. No. It's almost like another form of. It's almost like weaponizing. Um, queerness against brown bodies, right? Because coming out is the standard. Yeah. And That's so if done. you can't reach that standard, you're not living an, an authentic life. Yeah. You're not as really it were. gay. Yeah. You're not really queer. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what they or say. Or you're being sneaky or yeah. subversive yeah. or, you know, you're not living, you're a danger to the yeah. rest of us. I and mean, we've had this problem in the U.S. with um, the down low moniker, yeah. right? Which is, it's terrible, yeah, right? It's, it's a terrible thing to call someone or to, to allege, yeah. right? Because the connotations are so negative. Yeah. That, oh, he's, that you're weak. Or that he's, um, you know, download niggas carry HIV. You know, like yeah. there's so there's so many yeah. damaging uh, stereotypes mm-hmm. associated with not coming out mm-hmm. that actually the the idea that we must come out to live is white saviorism. It stems mm. into that. It stems into this idea that that oh, uh, the, that the white man knows what's best for you. Oof. But NASA knows what's best for you. Yeah. It's it's true, right? It's it's the way that things have always been. Like Boris Johnson knows what's good for Muslim women. Mm. You know, it, it, anyone that denies that that's not the case is killing themselves. They just have to open the news and watch it. Like from Boris to freaking like Syria or Pakistan or all those like poor oppressed like Indian women. You know, like it's this constant. Every and every and people t- tend to think that the LGBTQ community is like sort of absolved of that or doesn't have that. In my opinion, it's worse. Yes. In my opinion, it's a matter of where you have a situation where a privileged person has experienced oppression, so feels entitled to give their what they think is the best way to get out of an oppressive system. Or indeed, they kind of. Um Think them think it, that that it's not possible for them to be the oppressors yeah. themselves. Yeah. It's this kind of blindness, yeah. which I find quite remarkable. Which is why, when you look at when I ca- when if when I was outed, my only thing was okay, maybe I can rally, maybe I can get the support of the LGBTQ community. And I had like I had like six journalists from different publications who were like behind me, like. Um, Gay Times didn't do jack shit. Um, you can you can remove that if you want. No, no, care. this is a, f- a safe space. But <laughs> the response from these, the main sort of stream LGBTQ organizations, and I know I'm a nobody. Like I know I'm no one. Like I know, like I'm. Hu- I've kept myself humble. But when I now, when I look back, now now that I'm out of it, now that I'm like going back into like job hunting I'm returned to my normal lifestyle like mm. um, except with obviously police investigations and working with like the ICO and, and so yeah except, except for suing number 10 yeah, yeah except yeah, yeah. for suing number 10 <laughs> but like otherwise you know I'm you know I'm like broke mm. like I have to find work now I have to go back into actually finding a new career mm. outside of politics so I'm starting from square one so like I'm doing that but now when I look back and I see the kind of response that I got from LGBTQ organizations, and I mean every single one. I'm not gonna hold back, like, every single one. Their responses, there was, there, so individual journalists did 
a, a bunch of journalists did come out for me. They did say, okay, you know what, that's fucked up. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I think that the reason why the response was so subdued from in terms of LGBT campaign organizations was because they don't understand what that's like. And because they've built this idea of what coming out is. They think in their head, oh, yeah, it's horrible now, but soon he'll, he'll be, be happy. Fine, yeah. He'll be fine. I also think that there is a complete disregard for black and brown experiences. Yeah, totally. um, even from the organizations that may have come out for you. Um, yeah. There are, it should have been, there, there should have been, in my opinion, if I had seen, if that now, because it happened to me, I was cognitively dissonant to the, I was so numb from it. I was so numb that I didn't have the time to, to like call out people or say, okay, you help me, like, let's do this, let's do something. But if I was to see any black or brown person go through that, see that, my, I would be outraged. I would be outraged and I would call up each an organization. And this is myself, like, I know other people don't, aren't as like, uh, paranoid as me but like I would call them and say what are you doing mm. like what have you done like no one whether it was to no one shared my crowdfunder you know except like two three journalists like no one um, in fact it was the opposite people get like white gays were like oh this is this is good for him oh he'll be he'll be happy at the end of the day and then a, a queer, pe queer people of color, color were like that's what you get for being a brown conservative and so I, in that position I felt isolated I was very much like, fuck, even my own people like don't want to support me. And f for me, that was the most traumatic part, knowing that even though people understand, how, even though the people that could, that should understand what, that there's never an excuse to be outed, no. we're still making excuses, saying, yeah. mm, this is shit, but you know, that's what you get. But, but, but. And so for me, like, that's why in many ways I've sort of been like throughout my even when I was 15, you know, like sort of um, underground with my friends helping set up like sexual health clinics in Pakistan. Like I've been doing sh like shit myself like for years and to see that my own like brethren, so to speak, were like NASA. What? Cool. OK, but you were part of the Tories. Oh, but you worked on Brexit. For me, it was extremely... That's when I realized, is it worth me actually getting involved? Because I've always sort of wanted to be... Or at least be vocal about the experiences of queer people of color. But mm -hmm. to see that that I received barely any solidarity, even from my own friends, who were like, oh, well, you know what, you sort of... You were asking for it. And I was just... And I've had people say it to me, like, again and again. And it's just been like this constant battle thinking... Like, there's no excuse for someone to be outed. No, and I think there's perhaps a difference between saying, you know, um, <laughs> you walk into that kind of space and you're going to be ravaged. Yeah, right? and I agree with that. And, and then saying, that. well, he deserved it because he walked into that space. I think those are two very yeah, different things. I agree. I totally agree. I know that in terms of, I, in terms of being involved in that space, I should, I should have been aware. Well, that. not that you should have, because we all learn by experience, mm -hmm. right? Experience is the best teacher. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and there's no other way to learn anything. You know, if you're anything like me, you don't just take people's advice, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? You got to go actually and figure it out yourself. Yeah. And so I think that it's not a case of should have, right? It's like, well, now we're here, right? Yeah, agreed. And I think we take, 
I, I think this kind of goes into kind of a, a wokeness. Um, is there, someone asked me the other day, is there room for awakening among the woke? Right? All of us kind of assume that people ought to already think in a certain way. Yeah. But that's not how it works. <laughs> and, and for any number of reasons, um, many of us, myself included, um, believed that a change could be effected and because the change we were working towards was going to be so big and yeah. so grand and so important that we were protected within that space. Uh, and that's not true. <laughs> but I could only have learned that the hard way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I did. So, I, yeah, I don't think it's a case of should have. Mm. Yeah. I can see that. But now I'm very much like... I need to get these people into jail. I need to sue these motherfuckers. Yeah, get them out. Do you think anything will happen? Because I tell you what, over the past few days, I've been feeling a little bit hopeless. Yeah, I think most people are. And I think it's normal for us to feel this way because we are sentient beings who are Mm -hmm. watching um, our country being ripped apart. And someone said to me the other day that I take things too seriously. I think people that say that don't think. (laughs) Things too seriously. They don't think. It's stupid think. if you're not taking these things seriously. These people are, are and I know <coughs> the insides of this world. And anyone that thinks, oh, it's just a matter of like different economics, it's not the case. These people genuinely, genuinely see black and brown bodies there to be stepped on. Yes. These people inherently see a future. For this car. And I'm not talking about like random fringe groups like the EDL or UKIP. I'm talking about this government. I'm talking about the people in number 10. I'm talking about people running this country from whether that's Labour or Conservatives. It doesn't matter. These people genuinely, genuinely see black and brown bodies as something to be used, to either be used as a means to garner all the xenophobic and racist votes or whether that's a means to get their vote so it, it's I think but you know what then again it's exhausting for people of color and sometimes it's just like it's not a problem for us you know like let them sort it I don't know it's a complicated situation like how what, people are curious as to what they can do to fix it right people are people keep asking me okay I don't know what like that's what I constantly get like on like when in terms of when people like come up to me like hey are you Shamiri and I'm like yeah like okay I don't know how I can help mm-hmm. And then I'm just like, to be honest, I don't know. Yeah. But there are certain projects you can give money to. Like, if you want to, like, make a statement, like, give me money, like, pay for my crowdfunder, like, mm. or give it to this crowdfunder or support, like, independent organizations that are helping the people that you want to be helped, like, whether that's UK Black Pride. Um, nice, that's thank a you. Podcast. <laughs> um, but genuinely, I think, People sort of feel people feel helpless, but they become lazy in that helplessness or apathetic. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's that's basically that's just as much to blame as not for. Pe- I'm not talking about people of color because people of color are fucking exhausted. Yeah, so yeah. like if we want to sit, this if one you want to sit this can. one out, sit <laughs> this one out. Like you are like I have no like I'm I'm not talking to you. Mm. Like, it, it, but if you are a when. Uh, sort of a white British person says, oh, I'm so hopeless, I'm tired. I'm like, what do you have to worry about? Like, like go out there yeah. and do something. Like, give yeah. money. You have money, give money. I, you know, 
one of the things that actually helps me feel less hopeless when I feel a bit overwhelmed is something Toni Morrison said in the early 90s. If you can only be tall because somebody else is on their knees, then you have a very serious problem. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that white people have a very serious problem. Mm -hmm. And they should think about what they are going to do about it. Mm -hmm. Leave me out of it. (laughs) And I'm reminded that, like, oh, it's okay, you take a step back from this one. Um, And I think for those of us who want to help, who want to do something, have to figure out what it is that we're passionate about and how we can help in our own way. Because I think if enough of us help in the ways in which we think we can help, Mm -hmm. whether it's the launching of a podcast or taking taking number 10 uh, to court, court, Mm -hmm. two wildly different approaches, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm certainly not leveling mine with yours, um, then that's what we can do in our own individual individual spaces. I think if enough of us do that, we can create some real change. So you're 24. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are so much further along than, <laughs> than I you was that, at 24. But, like, I'm literally like, I'm, you should see my bank balance. Uh, well, like, babe, I'm still there. 32. Know, like, you should see, like, I'm like, here, like, okay, please drop down my rent, please, because I'm going to be homeless. Like, yeah. I'm like, at the same point, I was post graduation. Mm. But in same. A, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we all really, but. but uh, yeah, I could go into austerity, but I won't. Yeah. Um, so I want to, what's next, right? What's next for Shamir? Well, you know, I'm working on like four different investigations anyway. Um, Casual. You see, but I'm like, I just sit there and speak. There's people, I, it's like everyone, when everyone talks about these things within this, within politics and the media, they like to like over their shit. Like I've always been like, very sort of that's all I'm doing like I've always been like to a point where it's detrimental because then people think I'm useless right but (laughs) like I've always been or at least tried to be like humble in what is happening but really investigations I don't do anything right I'm just repeating what I know providing what I have but um in terms of what I'm doing dude like this is exhausted the literal life out of me but now I'm very much like okay Charmy time to make money like time to actually do something like time to I need to be doing stuff that one keeps a roof over my head and mm. two actually is for the betterment of society but this is again which is why the whole outing thing is has fucked me over is because because I've been outed now I can't do the actually good work that I could have done back in Pakistan. I Yet. Can't. Yet. So, yeah. I think if anyone has the power to to change what that looks mm-hmm. like, it's it's you. And that's not to put Pakistan's no, LGBTQ yeah, future on your shoulders, of but course. rather to say that you mm. can do it. I, I believe that. Yeah. I don't know if that's helpful, but I, I feel it. I believe it. I think it'll just, it, it'll take time. I think now, right now, I'm just focusing on getting a job. Like I'm working part-time. Like I'm literally have a temporary job. Well, how are you looking after yourself? As in, how are you taking care of Shamir inside? Um, I deleted Grinder. It's one star. Oh my god! I want to give you a hug. <laughs> um, Good for you. I got off all of these, like, especially this. That's why I keep telling not because all of all of my queer friends now are people of color. So I've surrounded myself with people that are are, are people of color who are also around other people of color and who have sought strength from that. And so, like, in terms of myself, in terms of my health, I think we... I mean, I'm, I'm saying this because I think if anyone else is in that position, it's 
like I went through hell over the past few months and the only thing that has sort of kept me up is like as as a you know as a 24 year old gay man you always go back to like oh like no one will love me like I don't have anyone oh I need like, or I need a shag or whatever like you always go back to like sex and love it's always like some way your like troubles always go back to that <laughs> and for me it's like in terms of whether it's the work that I'm doing whether it's how who I'm suing whether it's who I'm fucking whether it's in everything that I do now I no longer seek validation I no longer Oof. I no longer think will they think bad of me if someone for example in relationships or in a job let's take relationships or a man if I present I will present them with who I am I no longer say I no longer force myself to make my chest look bigger I never sort of suck in my nose to make my nose look smaller like in terms of physicalities I never hide my opinion now or I never hide my sort of like qualities like I will scream like randomly if I want to like just for no reason like or like I will make an annoying joke like I no longer control who I am for the validation of to seek validation from another whether that's in my relationships or that even with work with work I'm very much like like I will respect the work ethic, but that's a that's a great lesson to learn. Yeah. I have to say, like it's it's one that I'm still learning. Yeah, stop. But most people, most stop most of dancing. Are, <laughs> most of us are stop right? dancing for your dinner. We constantly it's from that shame through our childhood, particularly for queer men of color, like queer. And I'm specific because I was a queer man of color. I know, but I've also seen it. Like, like within, in my circle of friends, like this constant constant battle for validation mm -hmm. whether that's through a thirst trap on Instagram <laughs> whether that's through like an Insta story of hey look I'm eating out here like sometimes yeah I do that too but I, I, I know that for me I do it because my Instagram followers are my family <laughs> like right. most of my most everything I do now on Instagram or anything I do I do it for my family to see for my loved ones to know what I'm doing mm. never for anyone outside of that space never Never for someone I don't know. But so many queer men of color have gotten to the point where they will post pictures, where they will um, do things, forget what their close friends or their family members uh, like think, or not think, but they won't do it for them. No. They'll do it for that random boy that could potentially be their partner. Or they'll do it for, they'll get a job because it looks good. You know, and it's like this, con especially for queer men of color. Mm. We've always had to... Like Impress. prove ourselves, yeah. which is to the detriment of our mental health, right? That like we constantly eat at it again and again. Like we constantly eat at this idea of like I want them to like me. I want yeah, them and to when me. in in the in the aftermath of everything that happened to me last November, right? One of the things I became most grateful for was that the pretense could effectively be over. Mm -hmm. Right, I did yeah. everything I was supposed to do. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and it didn't work because no. it wasn't meant to work. Right. No. I had to learn this lesson the hard way, and so I'm kind of start from square one. <clears throat> yeah, and on my own terms. Right. Mm. Busy being black wouldn't have been born if some people who didn't like me mm -hmm. decided to attack. That's true. And so I can only be grateful for that. How is that response be? Like how? Because I guess I can attest. I can sort of empathize, but obviously the onslaught that you received was <laughs> like. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Even I was like, nah, cancelled. Mm -hmm. Like I'll be brutally honest. Even yeah. I was like, no, 
yeah. sorry, like that's out of order. Mm-hmm. But I think sort of two things is like people sort of people are very abrupt in their sort of cancellations these days. Like mm. they'll cancel people. Mm. But then I'm also like canceling doesn't actually canceling is only on done online. It doesn't actually impact you in real life. Yeah, I saw that on your Instagram the other day. Yeah, but but for people of color, it kind of does. It absolutely does. And I think there was, um, I mean, you know, all of a sudden your name is appearing in the press and mm. it's not good, right? And it's a terrifying experience. It's a traumatic experience. Mm. Um, but one of the revelations um, that I've had over the course of, of this year um, is much like what you said, that what happens online doesn't really translate offline. Um, I didn't lose any friends. Mm. Um, I didn't lose any family support. Um the number of people who've come up to say sorry. It happened just the other day. Someone came up to me and said, are you Josh Rivers? And I was like, I winced. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And so there's been a great deal of compassion, um, particularly from black people, mm. um, who've said, nigga down, <laughs> right? Like, <Yeah. laughs> there yeah. goes another one. Um, and, and, and it's that support. It's that, that's why I really felt it when you said that you felt isolated from queer people of color because it's the love from queer people of color that has nourished me, yeah, that has same. made me feel um, that I'm worthy, mm. right? That, is, that has helped same. heal me. Um, and that's why I'm like more committed than ever to just working for queer people of color exclusively. Mm. Don't care about anybody else. Mm. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> I got that. I I'll get there. Right now I'm just like, my motivations are for always will always be for queer people of color now. Mm-hmm. Particularly p- queer people of color that aren't out. Well, and it has to, we have to, this, we have to do it for us, mm. right? We have to do it for ourselves because no one else is going to. And the only way that we can do it is, is by doing it ourselves, yeah. right? Is Boris to in jail. build it. And put that <laughs> buffoon <laughs> behind bars where he belongs. He belongs in a zoo. I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> Well, Literally, that's become my full-time job. Is putting Boris Johnson not, in jail. Not Boris, but going after every single one of these people. Literally, like, in everything, like, it's this constant communication with, like, setting journalists. Oh, well, this bitch did this. Yeah. Or, like, this person did this. Like, mm. I have become, I have become that bitch. Like, <laughs> I didn't, like, I have become that guy who goes, hmm, okay, well, you did this in this day. Here, the receipts. Like, yeah, receipts. Yeah. Like, I've become that guy but mm. to be honest it's I, it's you have to tear these people down from the inside out not that I went in there doing that but no I get it um, like once you like once you do something that evil I'm just like I'm sorry I will always have the moral high ground I don't mm. care if you lose your job I don't care if you lose your career I don't care if you like whatever like I don't care when you can be that violent so I'm going after every single one of them and with the support of my queer people of color brethren. <laughs> <laughs> what do you hope for? In what context? It's broad on purpose. I don't know. Justice for like justice for whether that be for myself or whether that be for the disproportionate murders of black trans women, whether that be for South Asian women stuck in forced marriages, whether it's whatever, just, I don't, like, I don't know. I think, 
I'm 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 a I'm a hopeful person. <laughs> so I hope for a lot of things. But I think that just actually you know what, I think it's like for just for if people of colour were to love themselves more, I think the whole world would change. I think the entire ecosystem would change if we just learn to uh, like practice self love. Like say to yourself, actually I am I am sexy, like I am smart. I am good at what I'm doing. Like imposter syndrome destroys communities. Like it this sort of lack of confidence and lack of self love, I think it destroys it keeps aside from the whole sort of whiteness and the white supremacists. I mean it's a it's a it's it's a result of that, right? Yes. It's a result of that. Of course. So I would say like self love, like People need to be telling themselves, right, I don't need this, I don't need that. I just need to, I I am good, like, and that can do wonders because then you stop doing things for other people. Then you get more people involved in, like, activist spaces. You get more people doing things that they feel are, is or will make changes. And then you, I, in my idea, at least, in my hope, is that that leads to the cycle of change. Right, let me stop appeasing the ears of that old white dude sitting in Gloucestershire, you know. Mm -hmm. Imagine how that can, how that just sort of liberates people of color from this kind of cage we we are put in and then furthermore put put ourselves deeper in, if that makes sense. Self-love as liberation, I Mm. get it. Shamir, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It means a lot. Thank you. In a recent article in The Guardian, Carol Cadwallader says this, Cheating on a scale not seen this century has been exposed, and almost nothing has happened. Nothing except a kicking and a bruising for Sonny. Among several investigations he's helping with, Shamir is taking legal action against Number 10 and the Taxpayers Alliance. Support with whatever you can spare. A link to his crowd justice campaign is in our show notes. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride and Blackout UK, and to you, the listeners. Remember this, your support doesn't cost any money. Retweets, shares, ratings, and reviews all help, so please keep the support coming. Finally, thank you to Anthony Giles, a queer black Grammy nominated producer based in New York City for these bomb ass, busy being black beats. Ashe. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.